0: from Hype Beast radio i'm jeff staple and this is the business of hype a show about creative entrepreneurs brand builders innovators and the realities behind the dreams they've built episode of The Business of Hype is a bit of a time capsule and a lesson, bundled neatly into approximately one hour of conversation. Now, I say it's a time capsule because over the course of five seasons, these episodes often become a marker on a timeline as our guests continue onward into their stellar trajectories. And it's safe to say that this episode will serve as one brief moment on a compelling timeline for the boundless talent that is Tremaine Emery. Now, you may not instantaneously know the name, but you certainly know the influence and the vision of Denim Tears. Part of me cringes to try and validate him through his peer affiliations, even though there are so many amazing ones. So just understand this. You are about to share an hour of your time with a compassionate, wise, curious, and inspiring individual who has not given in to circumstances that could and should stifle others. But instead, he embraced his individuality and shared it with the world. So sit up in your chair, perk up on the train, and stop what you're doing and pretend Nas just dropped ether. You'll understand that more later. And now give your undivided attention to Mr. Tremaine Emery, also known as Denim Tears. So uh, this has been a long time coming, a lot of coordination, but we finally made it happen. Uh, We are in Los Angeles now, your new home. Tell yes. us who we have in the, uh, the studio.
1: Uh, my name is Tremaine Emery.
0: And what do you do, Tremaine?
1: Um, curr- <laughs> currently, currently. I wish you saw the gesture on it, so yeah. you just like shrug. Shrug. <laughs> I, I do storytelling for mm-hmm. myself. I do storytelling with A-Side, and I do storytelling with art, artists and brands sometimes, okay. so, yeah.
0: So storyteller. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I have a question that I think a lot of people ask. Yeah. Is it denim tears or denim tears?
1: Both. With tears. If you're going to say it, denim tears. Okay. But it it's both.
0: Denim tears is mad poetic too, though. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> Especially it's with denim, your jeans. You know
1: it's <laughs> denim tears. It's denim tears.
0: Tears. Yeah. Like but, crying denim.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't mean crying, but yeah.
0: Can yeah. you explain? Why don't you tell us? And what- that's
1: why it's denim tears and denim tears. Because... Uh, the 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 handle is a metaphor for keeps evolving, but it's a mm-hmm. metaphor for attrition of life. Mm-hmm. So you know, pair of jeans, you get them new, the best, the most expensive and the jeans people value, it's about, forget money, jeans people value most are the ones that either they bought that were worn in or that they've worn for a long time, yep. and the beauties in what the jeans have been through, mm-hmm. and that's life, you know what I mean? Like people die, um, good things happen, bad things happen, you get a job, lose a job, you lose hair, whatever, um, you gain weight, lose weight, fall in love, fall out of love, but all this thing is attrition. And that's what makes you who you are, mm-hmm. you know. And people people become great human beings by um, dealing with the good and the bad. Word, because you can't. Life's gonna give you what you want. It's gonna give you what you don't want. Mm-hmm. How you how you process it is what makes you who you are. Yeah. So it's it's it's, a, it's centered around that, and then you know, it's also involved involved into um, some storytelling about. Um, Cotton and mm-hmm. the African American experience and its connection of the slave yeah. trade up to also you know from first slaves arrived in America August twentieth sixteen nineteen mm-hmm. um, anyone listening you can just Google sixteen nineteen August twentieth New York Times has been putting out some amazing um, articles and stuff about about that and. um up to 2019, it's like now it's like descended a slave selling clothing, working, you know, selling clothing or just living in this country and, you know, never receiving reparations and stuff like that. So just um, telling some stories around that. Mm-hmm. So it's involved into that too. Yeah. But that's not the main thing. Um, there is no main thing. It's just um, Right. to handle. You know w- what I mean? So
0: when, your form- when you created your Instagram, well, were you denim tears on Twitter? Yeah, I'm
1: Chairs on Twitter. So Twitter.
0: that came first, I assume.
1: Uh, simultaneous change. Okay. It, the, the origin of Chairs is like, uh, it was a, in, a like a inside joke. It was a joke at a dinner between, um, it was me, Caius Pawson, Virgil Abla, Sam Ross, and A-Side. And this is years ago. This is like 2014. Mm-hmm maybe thirteen, fourteen and we we're doing a we we're DJing a party at the Edition Hotel and we had a dinner beforehand. And um I used to do like these esoteric selfies on Instagram. So like it be of a thing or something that would express a feeling I had. And I'd say, and then I just put selfie. Whatever. Okay, got it. Just it, stupid right. trolling. And then um, they were making fun of me about it. Uh-huh. They're like, you know, they were trolling me about it. And then um, <laughs> there's one I put up of like this old pair of Levi's I had, and the the back of the pot, back pocket was all ripped and stuff. And long story short, a Side said like denim, like he said um the, the he said the uh, the denim heart, the ripped up heart. Cause it looked like a heart, and then selfie, and they were laughing, trolling me about that. And then Caius, Caius might have said, "Yeah, denim." He might have said, "Denim tears, maybe." Caius tears. Said, he might tears. Tears. Like, tears. Like, okay. Yeah, okay. Or something like that. huh. Or maybe he said your denim was crying or something like that. And then the next day, V had to used to have a blog on Style dot com, mm-hmm. so he was like, "Oh, Kaius, person of XL Young Turks fame, a side of." Used to be run Nike uh, Energy Market and now is currently in We Are Shining, the brand, the band, um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Sam Ross, this, that, third. And then he goes, Did him Tears of Mark Jacobs fame. So, like, he like trolled me, like, called me the, the name. <laughs> right. So and branded you at the same time. Yeah, like, <laughs> so it's stuck since then. Right.
0: I am what time. Circumstance, history have made me, certainly. But I am also much more than that. And so are we all. This is one of my favorite quotes from James Baldwin. And it seemed important to kick off the episode with a question about the name that most people have come to know Tremaine by, Denim Tears. It not only sparks a curiosity, but it also speaks to a surprising series of layers. It holds a backstory that touches on playfulness, friendship, a long journey, and of all things, attrition. Now, without giving anything away, after the episode, look up the multiple definitions of the word attrition and tie them back to this whole entire conversation. There is a phenomenal harmony between it all, and that harmony emanates from Tremaine as a person and through his work. So now let's quickly go back in time and find out all about his humble beginnings.
1: I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, in College Park, Mm -hmm. and when I was three months old, my parents, we moved to New York, and first we lived in Flushing, Queens, Okay. and then when I was like 10 years old, we moved to Jamaica, Queens, Mm -hmm. because that's where they could afford a house, and um, Farmers Boulevard area is called St. Albans, and um, grew up there. So you
0: don't really identify with, like, being from Atlanta. You are a New Yorker, would you say?
1: Yeah, 100%. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah, 100%. I used to spend summers in Georgia sometimes. But even when I'd spend the summers in Georgia, I would be in a small town called Harlem, Georgia. Like 3,000. Harlem, Georgia. Yeah, 3,000. <laughs> One red light town, 3,000 people. Wow. Yeah, like my grandmothers went to the same, we're in the same graduating class. Uh-huh. And my parents went to that same high school. Okay. A really small town.
0: And what was upbringing like in Queens for you?
1: Um, yeah, it was an adventure. Yeah? What, it was an adventure. It what was years? A, um,
0: what decade are we talking about
1: here? 90s. Okay. 90s. Um, 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. I'm 38 now. Okay. Um, I was born in 81. So it was an adventure. It was like, wow, because like Flushing was like, I was a minority. So it was mostly like white, Hispanic, Asian, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, that was fun. And then, but like there, I was like the minority, and like I remember there was like three black kids in my in my elementary school. It was like mm-hmm. me, Joaquim and Monique. Like I remember their names. Haven't seen either, any of them probably in twenty years or more. Right. But it was cool. So then, like I'd spend my summers in in Harlem, Georgia, mm-hmm. was with my family. And then, you know, doing that. And then, like, we moved to Jamaica, Queens. And then that was like a totally different thing because everyone was black except for the police. Mm -hmm. And um, bus drivers was black. The only people that weren't black were police uh, and like the bodegas. Everybody was Spanish. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, it was great. Like, it was like kind of like the Sandlot, that film, in a sense. Like, my name, my block, Keysville, Killer Keysville. As it's called, like, I can name, like, literally, if I name the names, like, Mel Gotti, Boo, Big East, um, Bup, uh, JoJo, Wuzzy, Watt, um, who else? Callie Watt. Uh, I'm leaving out names, but I can name so many dudes just on our block in the same age bracket not even talking to OGs. You know, my block every day, I had to run up, walk past Ronnie Bump's house, legendary gangster from my my neighborhood. Like, you've heard Nas and all these people rap about him, his block, his house was on my block. Then another dude, Shorty Black, he's in like Mike Tyson's book, he used to be Mike Tyson's um, bodyguard. He's also legendary street dude from um, my neighborhood. His house was on my block too. So it was like, we were right near Hollis, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like my barbershop, same place. Um, like if you watch the backstage backstage documentary when Rockefeller and Rough Riders were on tour, mm-hmm. my barbers, and one, of my, one of the barbers from my barbershop was in that documentary. DJ Clue, first time I ever seen Seating was um, getting my hair cut, waiting to get my hair cut and Ernesto, which is his real name, DJ Clue was in there, and he had on the foam posits, mm-hmm. the first ever foam posit. And I was like, yo, what are those? And he's like, oh, these are the new Penny Hardaways. Nike gave them to me early. And I was like 90, whatever year you, whatever year those came out. And that's he was the, like, of them to you? Yeah, I, had, no, I couldn't even wrap my head around like, you're not an athlete. <laughs> you're a DJ. Right. I, I bought your mixtapes from the Coliseum Mall. Nike gave you shoes. That's an That's that's a, that's a interesting anecdote. Yeah, first time I ever heard of seating. Right. Marketing mm-hmm. on a sneaker. Um, but yeah, it was an adventure, man. Like it was like I learned a lot about the human condition growing up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw have seen saw some beautiful things, inspirational things, I've seen some horrible things.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things you might be sort of known for is being able to like globally. Um, use, like, the world as, like, your tear sheet. You yeah. Know, you know what I mean? Like, you can absorb all the world and then process it down into a project or, like, an initiative. Yeah. Were you that way all the way back then? Like, were you just a sponge of everything?
1: Yeah, because um, I never let any faction of my environment define me in a sense that I wasn't a victim of my um, surroundings, positive or negative. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't like I remember my neighborhood dudes would be like, "Yo, why are you go? Why are you be hanging out in downtown Manhattan?" You know, some dudes would be like, "Yo, well, there's gay people there, white people don't want us there." Mm-hmm. You know, you're just gonna get followed around the stores. And I'd be like, "One, I have no problem with gay people. Mm-hmm. So, two, there's all kinds of people downtown. Three, if someone wants to follow me in the store, they're just wasting their time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's on them. You know right. what I mean? So, I was one. I was one of the only dudes, just like me and another dude, Ferris Bueller. We were the only dudes from our neighborhoods.
0: Ferris Bueller,
1: yeah, (laughs) Ferris, legend, very legendary. We went to this. I know him since high school. He was a year ahead of me. I went to Thomas Edison High School, which was right behind Jamaica High. Uh huh. And um, we were like the only dudes from the hood that would go to the city. Mm -hmm. You know, like to the
0: village and shit.
1: Yeah, go to the be in the village, be downtown, be in the LES. You Uh know, I'd be buying sneakers from North, Come back. Right, crush the hood. People be pressing me like, "Yo, where'd you get those sneakers?" I, you know, you know, going to Union, hanging out in Union every day. So I get that from my family. Um, you know, I just had dinner with my dad yesterday. I was tell, to ask him. I said, "Did you see the Pavarotti, Pavarotti documentary?" He's like, "Nah." I was like, "Dad, you know why I went to go see it." He's like, "No, why?" I said, "Cause you and mom took me to Central Park to see him and the him and the Harlem Boys Choir wow. do an opera." He's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. So my parents was always taking me to all kinds of things, you Mm -hmm. know? You know, I remember my dad said, I don't like the parks in this neighborhood, so you take us to Central Park, Mm -hmm. you know? So I always had a cornucopia of experiences. Yeah, and reaching Um, out. like Reaching out. You know, my dad would always come back with stories. He was a TV news cameraman, Mm -hmm. and he worked at CBS at a very, um, the height of TV news. Yeah, that's dope. So working for CBS is like the, and New York is the biggest market in the world for news, so he travel around. Like you know, I remember he went to Africa with Nelson Mandela, went from Mandela with the Pope. He also went to Africa and covered the aftermath of uh, the genocide in Rwanda. Um, he covered, you know, Polish um, Jews getting their reparations in the Warsaw Ghetto. Um, he'd cover like stuff at the White House, Super Bowls, but he also covered like a shooting in the projects. You know. Mm-hmm. So, always hearing those stories, um, always getting, you know, the main part of that job is you're dealing with the human condition, the best of it and the worst of it every day. Yeah. So, he's telling us all these stories. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a big part of it, too, is my parents, you know, my—you know, my, both my parents are kind of self-educated. Like, my mom, she was a straight-A student, but she didn't get to go to college because she, you know, like many women... Unfortunately, during that time, they have kids and they take care of the kids when the men goes and yeah. works. So she made that sacrifice, but she's very well read. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd always, you know, she'd give me books or I'd go through the books in her, in her bookshelf, and my dad's bookshelf. Um, so, they... I th- so I think that's where all that comes I know that's where all that comes from, right. really. It comes from them, you know, like even like religion. My dad grew up Baptist Christian. And him and my mom made it a point not to make us have to go to church regularly mm. at all or if at all, mm-hmm. because they wanted us to figure it out for ourselves. Because my dad said he'd seen so many people when he was coming up that they didn't live what they were preaching right. in the church. So that's like my parents. My parents are kind of like radical mm-hmm. in a very demure way. You know, even getting out of, um, you know, a small town, my dad had, my mom had aspirations to get out of Harlem, Georgia. My dad didn't want to work at the Pecan factory, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I'm not saying anything's wrong with working at a Pecan factory, but he, you know, he, so he knew New York is like you could be yourself in New York. Yeah. And, um, and it wasn't as like, he just felt everyone fell in line in the South.
0: Every story starts somewhere, and for Tremaine, a huge part of his foundation gets attributed to the instrumental role that his community played in shaping his path. Being raised in a place like Queens, New York, and born with the gift of curiosity and the ability to sponge experiences, both joyful and tragic, is all a part of his story. Being conditioned to seek out more than what's immediately in front of you is a skill that you will carry far in life. It's hard enough to simply observe, but a step up is to process what you're seeing. Sometimes you have to be strong enough to answer deep-rooted questions about that curiosity. Tremaine referenced a radical and demure perception that he learned from his parents. What a great combination, huh? Tremaine is lucky enough to have been raised by wise, progressive parents. But if that wasn't your fortune, it's something to strive for in your life always. Be curious and open-minded. This is a key reason why people respect Tremaine's vision. Don't fall in line with everyone else. Look beyond your community while at the same time not alienating where you came from. And never stop learning. Because this world will show us plenty of lessons during our lives. We just have to be open enough to receive them. They have, like, career aspirations for you?
1: No. My, my, my parents always was just like, they wanted me to stay out of jail. And um, don't stay out of jail and do whatever makes you happy. Mm-hmm. And, and be as compassionate kind, and kind person as you can be. Mm-hmm. That was the main thing, you know. When I dropped out of college.
0: You dropped out of college.
1: Yeah, they didn't make me feel bad about it.
0: What college did you go to?
1: LaGuardia Community College. Okay. Yeah, um, Yeah. you know. Why did you drop out? I just was like, I was in school for like, I was kind of taking film and acting classes, and film was like the main thing, and I was just like, if I want to do film, if I really care about it, I can figure it out on my own mm-hmm. and not waste any more money. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and so I just started. Working retail, because at that time I was working at nights. I go to school, and at night I load trucks at FedEx mm-hmm. out in Nassau Queens. So,
0: did so you work for FedEx?
1: Yeah, loading trucks. Okay. So not like literally it was nuts. like you had to like I remember they had to the do counting. You had to load like 400, bu- 400 boxes an hour. Like that was your quota. Yeah. Yeah. It was no joke. <laughs> Eight fifty. Eight fifty. An hour? eight fifty an hour, I think. Wow. Yeah.
0: So that's how you were making a living?
1: Yeah. Going to school and then working at work. I always had to work. Uh-huh. I've been working my whole life. Because um, my parents, especially from the moment I graduated high school, they're like, you have to, we're not going to give you any money. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to work. So, and even when I was in the house, like, you know, I had worked at Baskin Robbins to get Jordans. And um, before that, my dad set up my first job was I was 12 years old, mowing lawns on my block. you know? Yeah. So I've been working a long time. Even when I was a kid, I'd sell Marvel cards because my mom did she, my mom she was a housewife, but at one point she had um, a job at a pharmacy delivering medicine for mm-hmm. pharmacy, so I'd get a discount on them they sold Marvel cards. So I could buy the Marvel cards because I love comic books. Yeah. And then I would sell the Marvel cards. That was probably my first, first hustle, hustle <laughs> was selling Marvel cards.
0: Yeah. What was, at this time, like when high school, college, what was your, I want to understand your fashion sensibility yeah. and your music sensibility? Because I think those two things probably build yeah. up the DNA, right?
1: Um, yeah, totally. Um, always into style since... Uh, Again, I'll go back to the dinner me and my dad ha- had last night. Um, actually, it was dinner me my dad, my little brother, and my friend Brick from Bistro. And my dad told a story of um, when I was six years old, they took me to buy a cat. And um, my dad's like, you got to name the cat. And I named the cat Fashion. Because the cat was like a calico. Uh-huh. So she had all kinds of stripes and patches and stuff like that. So it reminded me of one of my mom's dresses, or like something out of one of her fashion magazines. So yeah, my dad said I, I, I said the name immediately. I said, like, "Oh, call her Fashion." That's dope. Yeah, I, that says a lot. Too. All right, I had that cat for a long time since I was like I had a cat for like eighteen years. But um, I just always been into style and art. Uh huh. You know, that's you know I always been into, always been into vintage because mm-hmm. my mom would take me vintage shopping. You know. Okay.
0: Um. Yeah, I, I'm trying to picture if you were ever like crispy all white Air Force Ones and like Evisu jeans. Did that ever? Yeah, did I, had, that hit I, you? Had,
1: I had some Evisu jeans, and I have I have some all whites, and I you know, but even then it was like when everyone was wearing Mitchell and Ness. Yeah, I only had one one because I could only afford one, mm-hmm. and I had the one of um the first black quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I'm a Washington Redskins fan, so okay. that's the one. I made it, I was like, I remember I think I bought that on a car, credit card, too,
0: so even your Mitchell and Ness throwback had thought behind it, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah right you yeah, couldn't yeah, just yeah. right by the giants, <laughs> yeah,
1: but then I'm really into sports too, so I would never wear a jersey of a team i don't i cannot, me personally, I never wear a jersey of a team I don't support, uh-huh I'm like old school like that,
0: right, yeah, and how about sneaker game back then
1: yeah, sneakers, I mean once I start working, I start buying sneakers like.
0: Yeah. Normal, obsessive, or?
1: (laughs) Kind of like, uh, yeah, I was going to North. I'd go to Barney's because Barney's had a quick straight account that people didn't know about. Mm -hmm. So you could come up. Like, I remember I had the HTM croc joints, full croc joints, white. Those are hard to get. I got them easy Mm -hmm. because I had had the guy, I forget his name, at Barney's. He worked in that department. He let me know when stuff was coming in. So I got a lot of heat from Barney's. Okay. Then not. Um, and then my hustle was Barney's. I had a Barney's card, credit card, because back then you could get a credit card easy. Yeah. Which was stupid of me. <laughs> so I'm not, I had like a Barney's card, Birdolf Goodman, uh-huh. Saks, not scamming, just a credit card. Right. And um, yeah, Barney's, Saks, Birdolf Goodman. So I used to be up, you know, up and all there. I used to work at Birdolf Goodman. Stock. Oh, really? I worked at Saks, stock. So then it's like, I had to discount too.
0: Okay. So uh, your your vocabulary was, I would assume, compared to other people who went to LaGuardia and worked at FedEx. I don't think they knew HTM and Nort and Stash. Oh right? no,
1: yeah, I was unicorn. I was weird. Uni- yeah. Yeah, I was unicorn in my hood for that. Like even, you know, the thing in my hood was like all the Pradas I had, Prada Sport, because mm-hmm. my friend Rudy, rue Spitz, he. He went to London, he was on Tim Westwood, this is when we were in high school, like last year high school, like this is like 99, 2000. He was in this crew called Crumb Corp and we all lived in the same block. He went and they went and they did Tim Westwood, they had like a show out there in London. And um, he came back and he had a pair of high top Pradas. And I was like, yo, those are crazy. Mm-hmm. And then I went and seen them at Saks. So this is like year 2000, like 1999, 2000. And I bought the high-top ones. I remember I had the low-top burgundy joints. And those were like six, seven yeah, bills, I was going, right? I went, yeah, they were. The high-top ones. With the, with ones the were, red stripe on the back? Yeah, yeah. I probably had like eight pairs. <laughs> oh, my God. I can remember I had the suede orange ones, blue suede. Um, I had the burgundy joints. I had the high-top black joints. Yeah, I had several pairs. Yeah, I had several putting pairs. Putting that credit card to work. Yeah. So how did
0: you transition from working FedEx and stock in the back room to, like, in breaking into fashion world?
1: Well, I was working at the FedEx, and I quit because they were trying to bring in a um, a union, and they were trying to dupe everyone that the union was bad. And I remember we had this meeting, and I said, you guys are saying the union's bad, but my dad's in a union. And I'm, you know, that's how I was able to be on his health insurance and this and a third, and I mm-hmm. said, I know about you. So I was like kind of kicked some knowledge that I had and then all of a sudden I started getting written up and um, mm-hmm. stuff at the job. So, I just quit. Yeah. I didn't have to deal with that mess. And then I got a job at J. Crew doing sales. Okay. And then I remember this um, working there and then I had like long ass hair braids or fro and then I started getting, I got written up for having um, my hair not being Acceptable. Because mm. it they didn't they're like I remember they were like it didn't look like on brand or whatever. On brand, right? Look, you know, look at the like look at the catalog. Yeah. No one's hairs like that. I said, Well, there's no one black in a catalog. <laughs> right. And then like, so I remember there was this bookstore called Revolutionary Books, right down the street from the J. Crew I worked at on 14th.
0: Fourteenth and what? I just wanna I wanna know.
1: <laughs> well the 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 J Crew was near 14th Union Square. Uh-huh. The bookstore was like maybe 17th and something. It was, oh, I called, remember. it was called Revolutionary Books. So I went there and I bought the employee rights book, New mm-hmm. York State employee rights. And then I called up the hotline. I was like, oh, according to this, you can't discriminate against someone for immutable characteristics. And um, so I threw them in the sleeper hole real quick. And then the next day they're like, oh, we're sorry. Um, there have been some mistakes. Your, your hair is fine. And then, then the next day tried to sting me. Then the CEO came in. And complained about my hair, and then they said, "Oh, okay, you can wear your hair a fro, but you can't have braids because that's hair art." So they kept tweaking and pressing me, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I just quit because I was just like, "Yeah, fuck you guys." Right. And um, but that was fun. That was a wild job. I never forget that job. Was like I remember I almost lost that job when Ether dropped because we were at work when Ether dropped, and we all went into the stock room. And we was just like, I remember I was like, Flex yeah. just dropped the whole fucking song. <laughs> and he kept kept it, kept bringing 30 it back. Times, and I'm I like, know. people was coming like, yo, Tremaine, we need you in the cell phone. That's my favorite moment from that, <laughs> from that, uh, that that job when Ether dropped. Yep. I remember that. But um, so then Jake Crew, and then I mm-hmm. started doing I got a stock job at Bertolf Goodman, between Bertolf and Goodman Sachs for Helena Rubinstein, Cosmetic Company. Mm-hmm. Then I had a stock job for Lost that job. Then I was back in, working at the liquor store in my hood. I remember this liquor store too. Is like a su- real
0: liquor store. Yeah, like su- not the J Crew liquor store. Which no, 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 no. <laughs> you know no, that no, one, right? No, this It's like,
1: like, yeah, I know that one. No, this is like Farmers, oh, Farmers Boulevard. Okay, bulletproof glass, like Supreme. <laughs> Supreme ex- was extorting the liquor store. Like Supreme would be up in the store, like the biggest liquor store in Queens. All kinds of characters coming through, you know, every night. We wonder, are we going to get robbed tonight? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Wow. It was fun. And then I was working there, and then I got a job at Kate Spade to do stock. Left that. Mm-hmm. I was working at Kate Spade. And I remember I used to on my lunch breaks, and then i always go hang out at Union after I get out of work. Mm-hmm. And i just kick it out Union. Kate Spade was in Soho, right? Yeah. And then
0: you so you go to Union in Soho, right, around the yeah. corner.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had been going to Union before that, but mm-hmm. now I was in Soho all the time. Yeah. So I was hanging out, and I became a Union rat, and I was in Union all the time. And um, I remember um, there was a point where I was supposed to meet with James Jebbia, because mm-hmm. they were considering... Because they didn't want to hire, Mary and Marianne didn't want to hire me. I, I really wanted a job at Union. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to hire me. Why not? I, I don't know why. I think maybe because he's like, I felt like I knew everybody there. Or, I don't know. Right. She just didn't rock with me maybe. I don't mm-hmm. know. Don't yeah. matter.
0: And then. Um, and I think just to give some insight, what a lot of people don't know is James Jebbia of Supreme fame. Yeah. Was 50-50 partners in Union with Marianne. Yep. I think it was his ex. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So people might wonder why. Yeah, that is, yeah, yeah.
1: So, and he ran on the Stussy store. Stussy New York. Stussy New York. So right. I was supposed to meet with James to interview, to work at the Stussy New York store. Mm-hmm. And then obviously he's a busy man and he kept blowing the interview. So it never happened. And then I got the job. I got a job at Mark Jacobs. And i you know, I took that job. Mm-hmm. I started off the stock there and then, um, you know, my ex, actually, um, Hadara, helped me get that job at um, Mark Jacobs. Because mm-hmm. someone else had tried to get me a job there and it didn't happen. And then she put me forward. And then I had three interviews. Remember, I had an interview with Debbie, who was the store manager, Susie, who was the head of HR. And then I had an interview with Robert Duffy, who was the president of the company, and um, Mark Jacobs. Um, for the stockroom position? Yeah. He what? Inter- he interviewed everyone for any position. That's amazing. Yeah, that's why I was the most lit at that time. Fashion company, yeah. in the world because every position was impo- considered important. Mm-hmm. Um, they hired personalities and people. They didn't. They weren't like okay, we're gonna put a bunch of black guys in the stock room, um, black dude, a Spanish dude on the security. You had all races and genders working at all positions. Yeah, and it was totally mobile. So I went from being a stock guy to ending up, like, assistant manager of the collection store in London. Because they moved me. I started at Marc Jacobs in 2006. Mm-hmm. 2010, they moved me to London to work at the collection store.
0: Between oh six and 2010, you were just moving up out of the stock room into the front of the store, I assume, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was, like, in a stock room for not even a year. Uh-huh. And then they, um, I became sales associate at the, women, at the women's Mark by Mark store. Mm-hmm. Then moved moved to a couple of stores around because we have mass stores in the West Village. Yeah. And then um,
0: you pretty much owned Bleecker Street.
1: Mark and Robert did. Yeah. 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 There were several stores. There was the Chachki store. Then eventually the cosmetic store, the collection store, the men's store, Mark Mark store, the bookstore. Yeah. It was and a you lot could just stuff.
0: float around to all of that.
1: Um, I was I worked at the women's Mark Mark and mm-hmm. then worked at the um. Men's Mark by Mark. Okay, those are the two ones I worked at. My tenure in the West Village. And then How was
0: it working under Mark and
1: Robert? Incredible. Um, you know, last nine to five I ever had. Um, it was last nine to five job you ever had? Yeah, I haven't had a nine to five since 2015. Uh huh. I worked with Mark Jacobs for like nine years. Nice. Um, it was great. Um, I learned a lot about. Life, um, you know. Robert never lied to me when he interviewed me. He said, "I remember he's like, you're hired. We're gonna work you hard, but you joined the company at a very opportune time, and if you work hard, you you'll be rewarded." And that was the case through and through. Mm. As long as long as him and as long as he was in, like him and Mark were in, in power and charge. Yeah. So yeah, it was great, man. Um, and Mark Jacobs was a company I always loved. I used to go into the collection store check out the cashmere hoodies, check out, you know, men's and women's clothing. So, I was super happy to work there. Yeah. Because I loved the culture of it. You right. know, what Mark and Robert represented and Mark Jacobs represented and was a New York brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's probably, the, I mean, I would not have probably continued to work in fashion if it wasn't for Mark and Robert on, on a retail level. Yeah,
0: know? yeah. And, and, from where you came from, like, being at a company like J. Crew or some of the other places where you had to deal with some BS. Yeah. It's interesting to see how just because of the way a company's run, like, from the top, how it, like, trickles all the way down yeah, throughout, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah, they treat everyone the same. Everyone was, you know, a couple stories. Uh, you know, they had a clothing allowance. You get, 12 pair, you get two pairs of shoes and 12 garments uh, um, a season, mm-hmm. no matter your position. Oh, wow. You had the same clothing allowance that Mark Jacobs and Robert had. If you're security, you got 12 pieces of clothing. Wow. And two pairs of shoes. If you're stock, you got 12 pieces of clothing. Two mm-hmm. pairs of shoes. So, so shit. Everyone was equal in that way. And um that's kind of the micro macro for that company. Yeah. Um, I remember one time I was at, we had a going away party for Robert's assistant, Deborah at Indochine. And I was Robert's like, Oh, Tremaine, come sit here with me and Mark, and I'm talking to them and then someone's like, oh, Tremaine, you're at the VIP table. And then Mark was like, we don't have VIP tables at Mark Jacobs' parties. So that's kind of, that, that was the vibe. It was like, it was, it was, you know, it was like a, it was social democratic type of vibe, you know? Yeah, that's ill.
0: You can't make your way to Marc Jacobs through stock rooms, loading docks, liquor stores, and sales floors, unless you are grounded with a specific strength in character. I found it really interesting that most of these experiences were spoken about in a very similar tone, giving all of those jobs equal billing as rungs on a life ladder. Listen back. Tremaine talks about loading a FedEx truck the same way he talks about rubbing shoulders with Marc Jacobs. And therein lies an invaluable piece of wisdom. Many times, the job you're in is actually an audition for the job you deserve to get someday. At times, your real job, and when I say job, I mean the task at hand, your real job is to accumulate opportunities, make friendships, and build connections. No matter what that job description really is, essentially, it's practice. And in many industries, people talk, word gets around, and one day, You'll need someone to vouch for you. And not just you as a person, but you as the worker. So, did he take pride in his work? Were you responsible? Did she treat everyone fairly? So, understand the relevance of the prospects that are right in front of you and use them to your advantages, as experiences. They hold way more value than you might actually think. When you came out of Towards the Tail End of Mark... Were you financially in a very good place? Probably was it, I would assume, the best place of your life up until then? Because before that, it, was, it sounded like it was like odd job, stock job, going from one to the other. But now you had like a, this was your career.
1: Yeah. Um, I never put, I never saw, and this is my, I think my gift, I never put all my eggs, like I never was like, oh, I'm going to be working at Mark Jacobs for 30 years. I just knew that wasn't a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time I because it was Mark Jacobs the company had mass layoffs like 200 people mm-hmm. by the time I got laid off in London I was um, doing creative consulting working consulting for Stussy I was consulting for Serge Becker for um, social director for his um, La Bodega Negra I was um, consulting for Stussy I was doing creative consulting for Frank Ocean, working on, you know, Blonde blonde and um, Boys Don't Cry. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was, me and a were DJing, DJ stuff. Mm -hmm. We were DJing and we were getting DJ. We are mainly DJing and doing nights in London. Mm -hmm. It hadn't hit yet, like, where we were DJing around the world. We'd We'd done a couple gigs. Like, we did one gig, which was for Stussy, in LA, and that wasn't even that was before Novakian no existed as a name. Um, so there were side. You didn't have all there your eggs side, in the one there were side. There were side things, but financially well off. No, I mean,
0: <laughs> London's expensive.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I had a severance. I had a severance. I got a severance package mm-hmm. um, from Mark. Right from Mark. Yeah, which was um, I think it was like thirty-eight thousand pounds. Seventy
0: k. Yeah, yeah,
1: depending on what the rate was. That's the most money I ever got at once in my life. Mm-hmm. That's the most money I ever had in my bank account life. And I spent all of it trying to make, um, not trying, making no vacancy happen. Yeah. Um, and making, yeah, I double, I yeah, I didn't, I remember people were saying you should buy a, try to buy a house or uh-huh. do this. And I was like, nah, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to. Um, I'm going to make all this stuff that I've been doing on the side my primary thing. Mm. And main thing, make, make this, Novik, Make this what me and A-Side do together, make this work. So that's what, so I went for broke. Yeah. Because I remember I, I ran through all that money, and then I had to go and I took, um, I had about some money in my 401k. Not a lot, like 30k, and I took that out. So I ran out mm-hmm. of the severance and then took And that. the 401k. Yeah, so I, I ran out of money. Yeah, and then took thirty, took out all the money on my four hundred and one k, which was thirty American. I was okay. still living in London, and then, yeah. Um,
0: was there ever a state of panic? No. Really? Yeah, it's just money. Like, I talk to a lot of young people, and they're always panicked about failure.
1: Failing's good. Um, that's how you get good at things. Mm-hmm. If you look at a baseball player, if you can bat if you can hit three out of 10 baseballs, four out of 10, you're gonna go to Hall of Fame. Yeah, That means you're hitting, you're missing six. You're striking out six times out of 10. Right. So that means you're learning from those six strikeouts something that helps you hit those three times because you're paying attention and you're learning if you're a good athlete. Mm -hmm. So failing is good if you're learning from it. Mm -hmm. And if you get caught up in failing, it will destroy you. Again, and this is jewels I got from my pops. When Joe Torre first brought up Derek Jeter from um, the farm system, Mm -hmm. they're like, how are you going to start this guy at shortstop? You know what I mean? This is 96, and they won a championship that year. But they're like, how are you going to start this guy at shortstop? Shortstop's the hardest position. He doesn't have enough experience in the major league. And he said, what are you going to do when he makes a mistake, an error? Joe Torre said, what I'm going to tell Derek when he makes an error is the next one, the next ball is coming. Right. So if you're thinking about that ball you fumbled, you're going to fumble. You're going to be thinking about it, the next one's coming. Mm-hmm. That's life. You know, it's like when my mom died. I love and miss my mom, but someone else is going to die too. Mm-hmm. And I got to get ready for that yeah. emotionally. Right. Because we're all finite. And I can apply that to so many things you can't get caught up in the the negative things that happen. Mm -hmm. You have to learn from them and be grateful from what you can learn from them. Yeah. And um, I think that's a positive way to live life. So I don't really, I rarely get to, and I rarely, especially from things that happen to me, I don't really get panicked or or panicked about stuff because it's like, you know, I focus on the stuff I can control, which isn't isn't much. I can (laughs) kind of control what I think and feel. Yeah. Other than that, You don't have much control in life. And once you realize that-
0: You're free. You're free, you have a better life. You can stop the episode right here because I think you already have everything you need to know in life. Tremaine's anecdotes about failure is so true. Do not let your failures crumble your self-worth. I love the baseball analogy here because it's entirely true. Ted Williams is the last Major League Baseball player to hit above 400 in 1941. He got a hit four out of every 10 times he came up and missed six out of every 10 times. And he's considered one of the greatest hitters of all time. Point being, every chance you take is not going to be a hit. But if you believe in yourself enough to hang in there, greatness could be right around the corner. In all the people that I've spoken to on a deep level over the years, there is one major common thread. The people that have looked mortality in the face, either with their own lives or with someone extremely close to them, they seem to see life differently. Having full understanding of the end almost seems like the secret to being able to enjoy the present. Now, I don't wish tragedy upon any of you, but when it happens, let those emotions wash over you and understand the place that you're sitting in at that moment. And understand that true freedom comes from realizing that control is just a figment of our imagination. It's interesting, though, if you could take us back to that moment where you burnt through your 401k, which is like your last savings. Yeah. And you don't have a job. You don't have a full-time job. So now you've got, you're brewing this thing with A-side. Yeah. What was the, the motivating thing? Like, you, were you just like driven that you knew that this was gonna work?
1: Um, didn't know that it was gonna work. I just <laughs> knew I was doing the right thing. Okay. i never forget the last conversation I had with my mom, like a month or two before she died, she said to me, Tremaine, do you think that if you went back to college, you could get a better position at Marc Jacobs? And I kind of laughed, and I was like, "Mom, I think I figured some other things out." You know, I'm working with this guy, Frank Ocean. Um, this guy, you know, <laughs> my friend A-side and I were kind of working with this guy, ASAP Rocky. You know, A-side's on Rocky's on La, that album mm-hmm. on the last song back home, and we just used to be in more than anything. We're just friendship. We were just being in the studio at Rocky all the time, like during the London years. Just like we're all together all the time. But anyway. I was like, this guy, Rocky, I'm doing this stuff for Serge Becker. I'm about to do my contract with Stussy Mm -hmm. um, for consulting part-time. Yeah. Um, But all of this to moms and dads is like... Yeah. What? What? (laughs) And then, so I just told her all this stuff, and then she goes... And this is for any of the stuff that broke through. Right. No no vacancy didn't even exist. Yeah, you couldn't Google any of this shit right now. (laughs) And um, she just said, I'm just happy you're doing what you always love to do. Because that's what my mom knew. I love music. Mm-hmm. I love art. Yeah. I love art. Forget, me, forget disseminating between it. I love art. So she's just like, you're working around stuff you like to do. I'm happy for that. So I just always had the internal thing that whether stuff's working or not, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, a big inspiration for me was also besides, you know, was A-Side. Because I saw him... I met him in like 2000, end of 2010, beginning of 2011, and he had recently left Nike, mm-hmm. a really cushy job, real dream job, yeah. And he left it to pursue because he wasn't happy at the time there, and he was went to pursue making music, mm-hmm. his number one love. Mm-hmm. He he put it all on the line to do what he loved, and that was a big, you know, that was really inspiring to me, and. um meeting him and like knowing the job he had and seeing him like, yeah, just, I have to do this. you know And I saw him go through it over years, and him and Morgan made the album, it's a great album. The album sold nothing. They made no money off it, mm. zero. But the success was in doing it. yeah And him not having to be on his deathbed one day and be like, damn, what if I would've made that album? Mm-hmm. And, and that's another thing I try to tell kids and people. You can do something that seems like it fails, but in the long run, it's going to make you money or forget money, give you happiness. Yeah. So, because you know the stuff that A-Side's doing now, that he wouldn't be doing if he didn't make that album. Mm-hmm. That he had to go broke. Yeah. And lose the cushy job, and have find out. Oh, you only mess with me because I was working at Nike, and I can get you some some Yeezys yes. or something like that. Right, right. You don't really rock with me. All the stuff you found out and how hard it was to make an album, yeah. and to sing on an album for the first time, and whatever, all the stuff to go through it. And, um, yeah, so that was a big inspiration. Also, too, like at that time, you know, Asad, he never really talks about it because he's super stoic. You know, it was like, he has sick, sickle cell. So right when the album was about to come out, he had a crisis, and like, I remember one night, he hit me up, like, Tremaine, can you bring me a sandwich? I remember I got out of work, went to this um, place, got my chicken sandwich and took it to the hospital. And he's like, yeah, man. And he said, it's so dead pain. He's like, the doctor said it was 50-50 last night for me. Like 50-50? What? He's like, yeah, I could have died, mm-hmm. you know? And he was banged up in the hospital for a while and I'll never forget he had like the breathing mask thing on and he's like, tell Anthony, I'm ready to get it when I get out of here. What's, who was his A&R uh-huh. at um, Marathon Records. And for me, I was just like... Right. He's in his maybe deathbed. Yeah, like he's banged. He's banged. Like, if he was in America, a rap. Because yeah, yeah, he wouldn't have the money for the health care. Mm-hmm. You know, but the NHS, thank God, he's good. You know, the NHS. And then, um, you know, came out, did some shows. album, did what it did. And then after him being sick, my mom died, got laid off for Marc Jacobs. So all this stuff happened. Yeah. And I just like, you know, it was just like, carry your mom's casket. Everything else is light. nothing's heavy to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nothing, nothing's heavy. So, yeah, I think that's like, in a weird way, and I'm not, super, I'm not spiritual or religious, you know, at all. I think, you know, human, everything in the world comes from energy. And then when you die... Energy goes out Mm -hmm. and we don't have the answers. But I do think when my mom passed, that was like, I don't know, that was like my last bit of training, being so far away in London and stuff like that. Like That really like, yeah, it kind of made me free. Mm -hmm. It was like my final test about, like I I definitely believe I became a man when my mom passed away because it was like, all the fear went away. Mm. And it could go to when something like that happens, you can go either way. You can go negative or yeah. you can go right. Or like you can go too dark. positive too. Or you can just <laughs> go like, you know what? This is a finite life. Mm-hmm. I need to just do what I want to do. Yeah. And be around people I love much as I can. And be around the things I love mm-hmm. much as I can. And that's what I made my life about. Hanging around people I love much as I can. I still didn't always do it, and doing the things I love. And then it's it's weird, man. It's weird. Like my mom died, and I remember that summer, August. ASAC called me and he said, "Yo, bro, we got a." He's like, "Your mom died, man. You getting laid off? We're doing these gigs. It's all right." But he said, "Like, we need a we need a name. You ever? He's like, you ever wanted to open a store or something or whatever?" Mm-hmm. And I said. Nah, we got, got to open a store. We got to do, we've been living out of hotels, traveling, because DJ stuff I picked up a bit. Yeah. And I said, yo, let's call it No Vacancy Inn. Mm-hmm. It's the hotel of our minds. It's this ephemeral hotel that, and that's why it's No Vacancy, like, because you're not in it. Like,
0: mm-hmm. There's no room for it, for you. <laughs> yeah, like,
1: we're just always checked out. Right. We're always on the road, you know what I mean? yeah. yeah. And then, like, all our friends are like, inhabitants of this hotel mm-hmm. and it's like you know I always say Hotel Chelsea on Wills, the factory word um, and yeah so it became a name uh-huh. for me and, No Vacation is me and A-Side's brains yeah. together when we come together and, and do things and then yeah we named it me a and Sam Ross to sign the logo remember the first party we did under No Vacation was with Guillaume Berg mm-hmm. at the Scotch of St. James and then we just rolled it. It was wild.
0: Carry your mom's casket. Everything else is light. It is a hard line to repeat, but it's one of the most poignant thoughts I've ever heard in my life. And I only say it because it's helpful to remember things in perspective. In the beginning of the conversation, Tremaine touched on the idea that it's how we handle ourselves when things don't go our way that will ultimately define us. And here he is, testing that theory in real time. It's another moment where the road ahead of Tremaine offered up a detour. But if you haven't noticed, Denim Tears has an aversion to giving in to distractions. Here, again, he finds a path into the darkness. No home, no job, no mom. And how do you then stay focused and do what you believe in? You have to be able to live your life the way you want to live it. Because then at least you'll be able to look at yourself in the mirror when it's all
1: said and done. And this is why kids want, they want a trajectory. There is no trajectory. I remember the first pop-up we did was with Tom Sachs. He did this um, thing called the bodega. Mm -hmm. And he turned to front of his, stu- his um studio on Center Street into a bodega mm-hmm. that also played music. Yeah. And I ran into Tom in the street. And I said, Tom, what's up? It's Tremaine. He's like, oh, Tremaine, so nice to finally meet you in a person. Because he had known, only known me on email from stuff with me, him, and Frank. Because my OG, Surge, connected me to Tom. Mm-hmm. I connected Tom to Frank on Frank's behest. Because I was like, because me and Frank had been talking about Tom and his art, and Frank was looking for people to work. So I knew Tom from emails, so I mm-hmm. ran into him in the street, stopped him, like, hey, it's Tremaine, good to meet you. And he's like, yo, so great to meet you. And then he emailed me, like, yo, so good to run into you, come by the studio. So I came by, maybe the next time I was in New York, and he wasn't there, and I just said, hey, let Tom know I came by. Mm-hmm. And then Tom's like, yo, he emailed me, like, Tremaine, so sorry I missed you, would you like to... I want you to do artists in residency at the bodega. He's like, um, Virgil and Heron are doing it. Um, Eight Ball Collective is doing it. We'd love for you to do it. I said, yeah, I'll do it if I can do it with Side, No Vacancy Inn. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, of course. And then that was the first No Vacancy Inn pop-up. That's the first time we sold my mom's red velvet cake. First time we ever sold any No Vacancy I- items. We had the, I remember we had the USB usbs with the tchotchke keychains from chinatown and we had mixes we had all our friends do mixes yeah and but it just that's how it happened right and then it just rolled from there and then um the dj gigs started picking up and started doing more stuff and it's actually going to be five years 2020 since we wow. we started no vacancy
0: but um did you and a side really f- like formalize this thing Like, is there a no vacancy in LLC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A word?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's all tied
0: up. You, like, did you write a business plan? No.
1: No, no, (laughs) no, no. no. Definitely didn't write. Business plan's still being written. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, we just, literally, it was a quick conversation. He's like, we got to brand this thing we do. Uh Plus, we'll never get get the opportunities we need to get if it's just loosey Goosey, Mm -hmm. A-Side, and Tremaine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then... I think that's facts. And then, yeah, and then... And honestly, it was like, and even,
0: even though it is a thing, like an LLC, it is still quite loosey-goosey. Like, you can do sell clothes, do parties, you know, like, yeah. it operates in all these different things.
1: No, 100%. You know, I mean, who knows what No Vacancy will become in the future? I mean, it's not written in stone, it's, it's whatever we're feeling, you know? Yeah. Like, I remember we used to DJ parties, and we get damn near kicked out the club for playing rap. This is, you know, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. When wasn't we playing you couldn't play rap all night in a club. Yeah. Now it's like you're lucky if you hear us play one or two rap songs. We're playing you know, A side's on a different vibe, you uh-huh. know. Because A side's a DJ. I'm I'm I toast the mic. Yeah. I am a C. I I I toast the crowd, as it's called, A Side DJs. And um so even in that aspect, things have changed on our DJ sets. Um but yeah, you know, we it's a new Balance collab, but then Maybe we're going to collab with, you know, a charity to do something. It's just, there's mm-hmm. no, yeah. there's no um, rhyme or, the rhyme or reason is if what we like to do and what we're really about. Right. That's it. Right. Just
0: staying true to ourselves. I just did a talk last night. And yeah. one of the questions that was asked of me was, how do you stay malleable, which mm-hmm. is what we just talked about, loosey-goosey, Yeah. versus scalable? So yeah. they're almost like polar opposites, right? If you, there's a freedom in sort of being able to yeah. do anything, but then how do you become Starbucks? Yeah. If you do, and maybe you have no desire to be a McDonald's or a Starbucks yeah. where you're available or a piece of you is available in 36 different locations yeah. around the world, you know?
1: I think it is it's about what's your number.
0: That'll make you happy, meaning, right? Yeah, yeah. Just what's
1: your number? What's right. your you know, some people hundred million isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Some people, a billion isn't enough. Some, some people, people tim-
0: a thousand's enough. Yeah.
1: So I think part of it is, what's your number? That determines how you want to scale. What What are you doing? Because it's like, I example. Like, I remember I was in Paris with some friends, and we went to my friend Pierre's restaurant, Deviant, and he's Jean Choutou's son from APC, and mm-hmm. we're Jean. And we were Ye too, and Ye was like, wow, you guys should open more of these. This is incredible. And then Jean's like, no, it can't because... If you open more, you lose the quality because mm-hmm. they only make so many, so much of the ingredients that they buy. Yeah. There's only so much of it. Uh-huh. So once you start scaling it bigger, you're going to lose the thing that made it. Right. That, now, that's the food trade. Yep. That, that's that type of restaurant. That's why there's no in and out in New York. Exactly. <laughs> or like, you know, I will not even say the name, but there's certain there's a Japanese restaurant chain that all of them aren't the same. You know, the one in the original one. And LA is incredible, but mm-hmm. I've been to the one in Aspen. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it doesn't. You know. Yeah. Can't, yeah. So there's that. So it's about what's your number, yeah. and then what type of product are you selling? Is it scale, Can you scale it without losing quality? Right. And are you okay with losing the quality if you scale it? Mm-hmm. And also, are you okay with more employees, more problems? Right. More money, Drama. more problems. Yeah. More taxes, right? More everything. Are you okay with that? I think, for the world we're in, it's about having structure mixed with liability for what works for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I bring in, I'm being a side. We're bringing in structure, so so we can still do freestyle. Yeah, but then things are consistent, and Mm -hmm. we're consistently getting things to the consumer.
0: I was just about to ask you on that sliding scale of malleability and yeah. scalability. Do you are you guys trying to be slightly more or like structured or are you enjoying the, the randomness?
1: Yeah, we wanna be more structured but still have the word. Have it where if you just um, you know what, let's put out a T shirt next week. You can do, do that. that. Yeah. But then also you do want to have that consistency of of drops or consistency of whatever it is we're doing, mm-hmm. you know? But um I think
0: Maybe one aspect of genius is being able to hit that perfectly down the middle. Like you look at Virgil, right? Yeah. Like the scalability is obviously there. Yeah. Locations all over the world. But the randomness of what he's able to produce, whether it's a museum show or a random t shirt with a Japanese brand, or you know it still feels random, but it's available to everyone. Yeah. That's like
1: No, that's no. Virgil is a genius and (laughs) absolutely. And um Yeah, you hit on the head. It's like scalable, big, pop, out, Mm -hmm. but still something feels D.Y.I. in it. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. His Nikes are probably like an actual manifestation of that.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Something still feels do-it-yourself. Right. And then I feel like that's the part that relates most to the people.
0: so let's say you've built this business and now the phone is ringing there will come a time when you start asking yourself hey what does this look like five years from now how about 10 years from now this is when the malleability versus scalability conversation starts to happen tremaine has some valuable insights here he wants no vacancy in to exist at a level that him and his partner a side can enjoy with freedoms yet he knows deep down that some ability to organize and scale is probably needed in the near future. The ability to maintain freedom is often seen as the greatest asset for young creatives. Yet the ability to scale is often seen as the greatest asset for a business person. So how does one juggle these two worlds? How do you manage profitability in a business without diminishing your art? Study those who have come before and monitor where you wanna be on that sliding scale. Tremaine asked you, what's your number? Determine that first and it will help lead to understand how to juggle it for yourself. After all, everyone's scale is different. Everyone's number is different. And to add to that difficulty, shit changes every single day. So while it is to each his own, you do have to eventually come to some kind of agreement with yourself on where you wanna take your future. So this is a good segue to New Balance. Yeah. Because this is, if I'm not mistaken, is it one of the first big footwear projects that
1: you've worked on? Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. Uh, that I've worked on that it's my sh- our right. shoe. yes. You've you know me consulted. A- yeah, me, but- and, me, A-Side, and Brock, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: So talk about how the thinking went behind that. Did you talk
1: to them? Did they reach out to you? Um, they reached out to us, mm-hmm. and then we said yes. Um, went out to Boston and designed design, uh, hmm. design the three shoes that are coming out. Yeah. One, you
0: know, one is out already, right? The 990s, yeah. And then the second one? Is, um, the 650s. Is
1: that then, the gum
0: sole one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then there's a third.
1: There's a third coming out too. Okay. They're both going to come out end of this year. Okay. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So, um, is this, Does this have anything to do with being an art dad?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean I feel like when,
1: when our dad came out New Bounds was like yo this is our opportunity <laughs> yo you know what it's funny that's wild man dad, we, we've spent out a lot of ideas and put them out and it's like sometimes maybe we step off stuff too fast I definitely think it's like yeah it it, it definitely was like a perfect marriage in that sense of you know yeah I get sent everything mm-hmm. I kind of end up in my uh, new balances, right. Cowboy boots or <laughs> what, my, what you got uh, on now. Birkenstocks.
0: Birkenstocks. Yeah,
1: you know? And but then I, I wear my cactus joints. If I do cactus, cactus plant, yeah. No matter what I, yeah. Um but yeah, I think uh but also it's not even just the AIDS thing. It's just like to us they're dope. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We, just, we just love it. Yeah. yeah. Just love cool. love new balances. Like I never forget like I remember um, on the beginning of um, Ghostface's third album, um, Bulletproof Watch, it starts off. Raekwon's like, what I tell you about wearing the wrong new balances? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like one of my favorite, that's like my favorite intro ever on the yeah. album. Yeah, that's how he starts the album. So starts off, what I tell you about wearing the wrong new balances? So. Um,
0: Was it dope working with them? Is it good? Are they good working partners?
1: Yeah, good people. Yeah. Good people. Um, pretty painless. hmm. Pretty painless. Pretty painless. Yeah.
0: Can I throw a conspiracy theory at you? Sure. Okay. So you got yay at three stripes. Yeah. yeah. V at swoosh. Yeah. And then now when it's time for you to do a shoe. Yeah. You got hit the other one. Yeah. Like so that we got so we're all covered.
1: Oh, we're all covered. You know what? That's <laughs> a, you know what the thing like, did is. That
0: discussion happened behind closed doors.
1: You know, it's it's funny you say that. If we all had ultimate solidarity that discussion should have been had, but no, it's, it's pretty random. It it's, feels I just No, I, I could see, I could see how someone could see it like that, but no, there was no discussion, but you know, the South, yeah, we all should be communicating. <laughs> no, for real. Like, you know, like you, the, do, you like all the, do like, communicate, just like not
0: f- strategically like that, right? Nah,
1: nah, nah. Okay. Nah.
0: Conspiracy theory busted. Fine. I was yeah. trying to, trying to start some shit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, I would say, I would say, nah, you know, me, me, V and Asad. mm-hmm. You know, like we're brothers, man. Like, it's not even about time, how long you know known someone. But I've known V a while, and that's my man. And I've known A side a while, that's my man. And mm-hmm. we definitely talk, we build about the state of the game and, you know, what's going on and give each other advice. And we're not like V, well, we're not yes men to each other, like, right. you know, especially A side. A side will tell you straight up <laughs> if you think something you're doing is whack. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, so we definitely have that solidarity and we communicate about things that are going on. And, you know, even sometimes the stuff's going on, I'll get on a gram or Twitter and let off a shot mm-hmm. in, in defense of somebody, you know? Yeah. And he'll hold, hold do hold, catch down. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it,
0: it's amazing this world that we live in now where if you think about, like, the Big Bang. Yeah. And if maybe Kanye was the Big Bang. Great way to put it. And then all this cosmic... Dust, spit, and of Incredible. Right? That's how, I mean, like, I interviewed Samuel Ross for the Ka- show.
1: Kanye and Pharrell. Okay. I would say Kanye, they were the two Pharrell things that collided, maybe. And Puff. Okay. Because Puff was the first one, like, yo, we go on to fashion weeks and stuff like that. That's true. Fashion shows. Shows yeah, yeah. and yeah. Sean John and all that. So I was, you know, Puff's a part. He's like in the cosmic dust too. Mm-hmm. 100%. Pharrell and, Pharrell and Ye. Yeah. I would say Pharrell Ye and Mark Jacobs. Mm. Actually, you got to add Mark Jacobs cuz Mark Steven Sprouse, who how, Murakami. Murakami. Yeah. Richard Prince, Kusama, mm-hmm. all those collabs. The Vans collabs, all the collab. This collab, Mark Jacobs collabs that never came out. Yeah. There was supposed to be a little Wayne collab while he was in jail, Mark Jacobs collab. Facts. I've seen wow. I've seen the product. New Balance collabs. This isn't early 2000s.
0: That didn't come out.
1: Didn't come out. Um, Queen B like, had the Free Little Kim t-shirts. Mark Jacobs doing that, Free Little Kim t shirt. Wow, shit. You know, um, him going to visit Little Kim in jail. Um, him and Ye doing the Louis sneakers before the Nikes came out. Mm-hmm. Him doing the jewelry with Pharrell. Mark opened his arms to young... Minority creatives, mm-hmm. like no f- other fashion designer ever had done, ever before him. Yeah. You know, so really, it's in my opinion, it's Mark, Yay, and Pharrell mm-hmm. that really, and Puff, and Puff's in there right, too. Right. Yeah, that's my opinion on mm-hmm. it. Yeah.
0: And how do you feel now about all the shit that has spun off of
1: that? Um, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredible. You know. And you have stuff that happens that's like, oh, thought that was a planet, but it's not a planet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Pluto. Pluto. There's a lot of Pluto's out here. Right, there's a lot of <laughs> Pluto's. Like thought it was a planet. Nah, you can't terraform that. Um Word. I think it's incredible, yeah. man. It's like, and I'm I'm really grateful. I'm grateful to see it, man. I'm grateful that being able to see it as a a fan and a player. Mm -hmm. I've been a bench player, I've been a six man, I've been a starter, Mm -hmm. at times hitting game-winning shots. I'm happy that I've been able to see it from all vantage points, man. And um, I'm really, it's beautiful. Um, And I feel like it's wild, man. It's really wild, it's really wild. Like Even if you think about it, go back to the J. Crew story of my hair. Mm -hmm. There's nothing people rather have in a store now as someone that looks like me or you, right in you know the what ad mean? campaign, yeah yeah, an Asian person, right, a black person, a hispanic person mm-hmm. uh whatever, trans whatever like yeah. it's all accept it's all more accepting than it was mm-hmm. there's still a lot of work to be done, but that's what I yeah. want to ask
0: you are we at the point where we're, society is really blind, or are we patronizing right now mm. um are we? And I don't mean we. I mean, are they doing it because it's the hot thing to do? Or are we really blissfully colorblind and classes blind?
1: You're asking great questions, making great statements. So i give you an example. It's and and and, and. My neighbor, Shira, really smart woman, she told me once there was stuff going on with an artist I was working with. And she said, you know what? I don't agree with everything he's saying, but... It's never and or or. It's and and and. Mm-hmm. It's, people should be able to talk about both sides. Mm-hmm. So I'll say this: Obama became president, right? And everyone thought that America has changed. We fixed it. We fixed and it. Then that's what everyone he did. Eight years and Trump got in. How much? Oh, did, how much did America change? <laughs> right. So, mm. you know, V's the head of Louis Menz, but that doesn't mean everything's changed. You know, it's a great opportunity for V and his family and his friends and for the culture. Yep. But in a day, it's a high, it's a really well-paid prestigious job. Mm-hmm. It. There's more stuff to be done and it's not all on V to cut through and change things. Right. You know, and
0: um, V actually came under fire recently. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. he was supposed to be to the culture, the, the Messiah. Yeah. And the savior. And then when, people saw things that were like, wait, what? I
1: yeah. thought you were us. I thought yeah. you were one of us. What is yeah. this?
0: I, I love what you said. Mm. And if you don't mind, I would love... Do you mind reading what you said? It's your words.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. I took a screenshot.
0: Because okay. I'd love... You know, when I read this, I was thinking like, you must have been hot. Yeah. Because you know the man himself, yeah. but the the press was saying all this other yeah. shit. So I want you to... Like, from your, from your mouth.
1: Um, well, the screenshot is of Virgil sending an email to um, Sam Ross.
0: Offering him a job for the first time yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah. Which and Sam... This is,
1: and this is not a job for Off-White. This is like work for me and work for Kanye. Like Donda. Work for Donda. Right. And wait, um, did you
0: get the screenshot from Sam?
1: Sam had posted it.
0: Okay, so you just took the... Yeah. yeah okay.
1: And then, um, what did I say here?
0: It's a photo, so. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know why Sam Ross, who worked for Ye, worked for V, worked for Ace I and I, wasn't at the off-white Christmas party? Same reason I wasn't. He was too busy walking through the fashion, creative world door that Kanye and Virgil dropped kicked off the hinges in the name of the black pool of genius. That, is, that has existed since tribal times in Africa, till now in a Western white male patriarchal dominated world. What y'all want Virgil to do? Then will snap all the white people out of the fashion industry. <laughs> <laughs> or do you want him to operate with humanity and hire and create with the best people from all cultures and communities to push the creative world forward? So before pointing a finger and think about what you have done for the empowerment of any minority community that is lacking representation in your life ever. Anyone can preach from the vapid ivory tower that is the internet, but it takes a real one to hit the streets and help others without broadcasting it for validation. Y'all should try it. <laughs> Damn. That, that little caption said volumes, yo. Yeah, you know, because it's like, my whole thing is like, it's like now with the Jay-Z thing, right? Yes. Jay helped me get out of jail. You know, Jay's done a lot Mm -hmm. that people don't know and we do know about. My thing is like, what are you doing about the NFL? Yeah. Did you not order buffalo wings and watch the Super Bowl? Even while Colin, Colin was... Not, not in the league, not yeah. playing. Because if you did, then you can say something. Maybe. Maybe you can right. say something. But if you haven't, and it looks like to me, Jay's trying to Trojan horse. Because in the, the day, we live in a capitalistic, consumerist, white male dominated society. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, you you beat the system by building a system next to the system. Or within it. Within it. Yeah. Cause if you just go try to just be like, fuck the system. The system is stronger than you. So you got to use guerrilla warfare. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how they won in Vietnam, the Viet Cong. Yeah. They didn't have bigger guns or bigger mm-hmm. missiles in America, but they had, they used, they were crafty mm-hmm. and they used guerrilla tactics. Same thing in Cuba. Castro started the war with, whether you agree with i the Cuban revolution or not, Castro started that revolution with 33 people. Mm-hmm. It was either 13 or 33 people. Yeah. So it's just like, Small revolutions start, start from small things. Right. And the Trojan horse method. hmm
0: It works. And I, I can't believe that even after all that Jay has done and given to us, from reasonable doubt to today, they're so quick to be like, you but, fucking traitor.
1: But Jay foretold this in the... Um, I listen to this freestyle at least once a month, um, Corporate Takeover Freestyle. Okay. And part of the freestyle he goes... The same sword they knight you with, the good knight you with. And that's only half if they like you. Don't believe me, ask Michael. See Martin, see Jesus. See Malcolm, see Martin, see Jesus, see Judas. See success is like a suicide. A suicide, the more you succeed, prepare to get crucified. He said, the more you succeed, prepare to get crucified. Mm -hmm. Nobody's crucifying the guy who has no ambition and lives in his mom's basement at age 38. Right. They crucified a 38-year-old guy who's the head of the artistic director of Louis Vuitton, creative director of Off-White, creative whatever director of Evian, and they crucify him because he has an office for Off-White in a homogenous area called Milan. Ain't no black people in Milan. <laughs> Y'all know how business work? You want Virgil to go f- fly in everyone from Chicago to New York to, and then give them housing, so then you, because I don't know if people even understand that level of like, when I moved from, Mark Jacobs paid and moved all my, paid for all my stuff to get moved over there, paid for my visa. If you're going to do that for 30 or 50 right. people. It's crazy. That is the Thanos snap. Like you can't just. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's just like, it's in Milan. That's where the company is. He did the deal with Guard, And it is mostly Italian people there. That's probably what you, if you. If I, if I, is there an off-white store in Japan? I think so. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be mostly Japanese people <laughs> wearing that. And this is coming from me. Like I'm very well versed in what's going on racially in the world. I'm the first one to point something out, and I can say this objectively. People are just looking for something. They're looking for something because someone's doing well, mm-hmm. and it's sad, man. Yeah, it's sad, and it's like, you know, it's like. I have a bigger voice in the world because of my, my working and friendship with V. You know, mm-hmm. Sam, that's so, why so I don't think people got it. Like, like, the reality is all the black people, women, talented people V knows, and he also helps talented white people too, all the people he feels really, really talented, V ain't trying to hire you. He's trying to plug you and kick you in your back so you can go and do your own thing. hmm that's why Sam ain't the, all right. the black people that. He, That's v, why Sam ain't working there. Working there, at, working right. there. yeah. Because V he used to work. I met Sam in Benji B Studio. Sam's working on designs. We in the studio. Me, Benji B, and Skepta and Asad and Virgil. That's how I met Sam. But he don't work for V no more. He don't work on no sales floor no more. That doesn't he mean don't.
0: V deserted him though.
1: He's helped him, <laughs> right. and Sam's helped himself. Right. So. It's you crazy. know
0: I mean, you, I think you said it best when you said the ivory tower of the internet,
1: yeah, people love people love it, man. people love it, and it's like it's easy to be a, a critic from the couch, yeah, easy to be cynical from the couch, right. hard to just get up every day and try to do something to make the world better mm-hmm. every day. What is your take on
0: social media, the internet, and people using it as both? a weapon, a tool, and sometimes like their entire livelihood.
1: Yeah. Answers in the question. So you can use a hammer to build something or you can use a hammer to kill someone, Mm -hmm. any tool. And that's the internet. Internet's nothing more than a tool. And unfortunately people make it more than that. And then also people don't have a real understanding. Like I feel like in school kids should learn about social media and stuff before they're able allowed access to it. Word. Learn that, hey, Internet, Instagram is your second self. It's not the real you. Mm-hmm. I could write the most poignant thing about my mother on Instagram. It's still second self because it's premeditated. It's premeditated because mm-hmm. I know people are going to see it. Exactly. I don't care how pious you are. It's all second self, and I don't think people understand that. And they've. They think it's real life, and people are getting anxiety because they're seeing, they're like, "Oh, look, Tremaine's on the private jet with Yay." They don't, they don't see when, you know, I was loading, loading boxes at Marc Jacobs.
0: Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: And someone's like, "Oh, yo, Kanye just walked in the store." I'm like, "Oh, that's cool. I gotta finish this order."
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: They don't see that on the gram. Right. I gotta finish unpacking this stuff.
0: And they're not taking care of the real self because they're. Spending way too much energy on the second self.
1: And yeah, and they're not taking care of the real self. They spending too much energy on the second self and spending energy and looking at other people's second selves <laughs> and, and being like, how can I get to that place where it's all internal? Yeah. It's all internal. Figure out what you like to do and do it. Okay. So imagine now yeah. you're
0: talking to a young person yeah. who is just neck deep in the second world. Yeah. How do they unplug?
1: It's tough. No, 100%. It's tough. It's, um, man, there's this young woman who I'm friends with. Her name's Coco, and she's incredible. I'm going to put her on blast. She works at ProCell, and she just got a, a really amazing new job at a, the, probably the biggest streetwear company you could work for in the world. But anyway, <laughs> I've known Coco for years now, and I like a year or two Coco's like 22, 23. Okay. And we just became friends, and we just always, when I'm in New York, we meet up and talk, and she, she, she deleted her Instagram. And she said, you know what, Jermaine? I remember I had dinner with her, met up with her last night, too, in New York, me her and Brick. She said it was hard at points where yeah. I feel lonely because I'm only texting the, my five or seven mm-hmm. friends on my thing, and I don't have that Instagram thing, but I have more peace of mind. I really urge just young people that take a vow of silence at times. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do what Coco did and, and get off it completely.
0: Was Coco getting like the anxiety thing happening with it? it yeah. Is that this, why she went I, I think so extreme? She, I think
1: she told me, she said she felt like she was caring about things she shouldn't be caring about right. and comparing herself and then people always knowing where you are, all this stuff. And the reason why I'm bringing up this story is not to tell her business because she's gotten this great job and opportunity that's going to lead to other stuff and she did it all without being on Instagram. Mm-hmm like she got this job is sick yeah and it's from people knowing she's a good person mm-hmm. herself a reliable person right her recommendations and her work that she does mm-hmm. you know she's she's a graphic designer you know and she was working two jobs pro sell another job you know to pay pay the bills or whatever and she's made it to the point without instagram yeah so i'm not saying don't use instagram cuz it's a tool but it's a tool Make, don't, don't use it if it's taking away your peace of mind. That's what yeah. I'd say. If you're losing peace of mind because of Instagram, try take a minute off. Right. or Put dead it a, down. Yeah, if you're losing peace of mind. Word. Like me, when I hit my number, my retirement party isn't a go watch. My retirement gift is deleting my Instagram. <laughs> That's going to be my retirement <laughs> gift is deleting my Instagram. Like, guys, it was great, man. Love you guys. <laughs> Delete. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, just I would urge them to take breaks from it sometime, and use it as a tool, and know why you're there. Mm-hmm. That's like anything. People come to L. A. Why are you here? People come to New York. Why are you here? Oh, because other people are here. You might get fucked up in the game. Mm-hmm. Why come? Come to L. A. Come to New York. Go to Paris, London, because you have an agenda for what you want to do. Just because life, when you don't, if you don't, when you don't know why you're somewhere in life. Life is just going to happen to you. Yeah. Whereas if you know why you're there, then that's the guide. That's your compass, right? If you know why you're doing a T-shirt brand, you're not just doing it because everyone else is, that's your compass. That's your compass when you drop something and you sell two T's. Yeah. And you want to quit, but you don't quit because you're like, no, I'm doing this because I really love it and I want to do it, and this is how I want to make a living. So i got to figure out how to sell five T's next time instead of two. Mm-hmm. That's, whereas if you don't have that compass of knowing why you're doing it, then you're either gonna quit or compromise yourself to win. Mm-hmm. Either or, you're gonna quit or compromise your dignity to win, you know? Yeah. I think that's a great place to end it, man. No doubt. Good looking out, that was dope. My man. Thank you.
0: How can you get to that place where you're at peace It's one of the best gems in this episode, and I like that we end it right here. Live this life for yourself. Go on this journey to satisfy your own ambitions. And one day, you might make it to your retirement so that you too can delete your Instagram. Thank you to Tremaine Emery, a.k.a. Denim Tears, for this amazingly inspiring episode. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I personally use Anchor FM. Leave a comment on Apple and tell us what you think of the show. It definitely helps out a lot. And also tell a friend, share it on social media. I love hearing your favorite parts of each episode. We do occasionally answer listener questions on the show. So if you have a question, shoot it over to me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Staple. The Business of Hype is created in collaboration with Bright Young Things. You can check out their work at byt.nyc. Our director is Daniel Nevetta. Our audio engineer is David Rogers Berry. Our associate producers are Sydney Pacumpera and Christina Hong. This episode was recorded at Sibling Rivalry Studio and on location at the beautiful, gracious, and extremely friendly Line Hotel in Koreatown, LA, California. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hype Beast Radio. <music>